You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your headspace, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, AJ Andrews of JaysFromTheCouch.com. I am very sorry these are late. I have not been feeling great the past few days, as you can probably tell from my voice. I, I'm i not sure what it is. I don't think it's it's the scary one, but... Um, anyway, I'm sorry. I've just been trying to sleep and fight it off, and working until 3 a.m. doesn't help that. So, apologies. This is the first of two crossover episodes that I did this week. I recorded them um, with Kevin Weiss of Locked on Rays, and we talked for a while. So that's why these episodes had to be split up, and they're a bit longer. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to talk too much, and just let the AJ in better times speak for with Kevin. Kevin's gonna do the intro, and then yeah, get ready for this because there's a lot. Okay, it is a Wednesday, which means it's time for another Division Day crossover. And today we're joined by the host of the Locked On Blue Jays podcast, AJ Andrews. AJ, thank you for joining us and doing this today. And I've just got to be upfront and open about this. I I do apologize. I don't like to see any team go through a rash of injuries, but I'm sorry for what the Blue Jays are seemingly going through over the last week or two with one guy after another, George Springer, Robbie Ray, Craig Biscio, Kirby Yates, Nate Pearson. Like that, that seems to be the storyline as of late, I guess. Right. You know, Kevin, I was so high on this team. Like I was going everywhere across the network being like, y'all aren't ready. Y'all aren't ready for the Blue Jays coming through and sweeping up the American League. And every time my caveat was like, if they stay healthy. And so far, since then, I don't know what what canvas curse or whatever I've brought upon this team. But ever since then, it's like, okay, here's the daily injury report. And it's like three more people. And I am starting to get really worried that I need to not like try and open any cans or anything unless I tear my rotator cuff. Like, right. Absolutely. And and that's kind of the question I've got is, you know, we're, we're hearing these reports, I guess maybe the most um, nerve wracking one. I mean, as far as knowing that this guy's going to be out as Kirby Yates, as he's, I guess, likely headed for Tommy John surgery, but some of these other ones, I mean, as of what I've read so far, it's not like, as of right now, they're not going to miss a ton of time seemingly. So what is kind of your, your confidence level right now? Do you think these guys, I mean, that have hit the IL or, or might hit the IL that the, the Blue Jays have enough 
on their 40 man to, to get through this, if it's a, a couple week lull or a month lull, I mean, where do you kind of stand with the team right now with, with all these like nicks and bruises popping up? <laughs> um, well, as I, as I said in the episode that dropped uh, last night, um, it's not as if this Kirby Yates news came as a big shock to the Blue Jays. And like, that's obviously the big one with Springer expected to miss a week and maybe he'll be ready for opening day. We hope. And Robbie Ray just expect expected to miss his last spring start, which is fine. Robbie Ray's look great. I'm excited to see Robbie Ray, but yeah, when you, when we got the news of how, uh, Kirby Yates had already failed two physicals in the winter. Like it's why he didn't actually sign the deal with Atlanta that he had in place and why he had to take a heavily reworked deal with Toronto. Um, like this, this wasn't a foreign concept to the Blue Jays. They knew there was a high probability that Kirby Yates was not all right and was not going to be able to pitch for this team. They took the shot because they had the money to be able to take the shot and it did not work. He will likely be on the 60-day IL. The good news for that is that means they don't have to DFA anyone to add one of the relievers who's been really good this spring, um, like Tim Meza, who's had a great comeback from his own Tommy John surgery, as well as Francisco Liriano, who, okay, I had no idea Francisco Liriano still had anything in the tank, but I've been pretty happy with what he's been doing. So... Yeah, it does leave the Blue Jays thin on closing experience, but they used Jordan Romano and Rafael Delis in that role last year when Ken Giles was on the shelf. So again, not a foreign concept. The Blue Jays can weather this kind of injury um, and it will probably expedite um, Ross Atkins trying to work the trade market to get some other arms into the organization. How valuable those arms are going to be will remain to be seen i've been touting shane green he's still out there as a free agent i think he'd probably be amenable to like a a three to five million dollar deal so you know there are there are still plenty of options for the blue jays to the point where kirby yates going down to tommy john surgery isn't the deal breaker that it would be if it was another season where they put all their eggs in that basket Right. That makes a lot of sense there for sure. And kind of speaking on arms in the Blue Jays arms as of right now, I know that Nate Pearson is dealing with a groin issue and, but he's kind of the hotshot prospect or one of the many hotshot prospects for the Blue Jays. And he actually has a big time local tie as he's from Odessa, Florida. He went to a local high school here. So there's a lot of um, probably a lot of people that are Tampa Bay Rays fans and followers that on the side, maybe more quietly are sort of rooting for Nate Pearson and his success and what he's been able to do locally through high school and growing up in youth ball. But um, what are the, the expectations for this guy? I mean, is he assuming he gets healthy? Is he kind of penciled in as the number two? I mean, are, are there expectations that we're going to need to rely on you heavily this year to get through 162? See, I don't, I don't think that's the case anymore. And I, I'm not sure that was ever going to be the case with Nate Pearson, given how he responded to his first taste of Major League Baseball last season. Um, he had a lot that he had to work through. He had a lot of adjustments to make at the Major League level. 
And the injuries obviously did not help. And and being out with a groin strain obviously does not help. It means he's not going to be in the, you know, opening day rotation. But they are going to try and work him up. And I think the plan is just to keep his outing short, um, maybe five innings max, just to make sure he doesn't get burned out as he builds his arm strength back up. And you saw the Blue Jays kind of act as if that was going to be the strategy with some of their signings in the offseason. This is why... They retained Ross Stripling. It's why Thomas Hatch was being stretched out. Anthony Kay was being stretched out. Tyler Chatwood was brought in as a guy who can go multiple innings. They have a lot of options to be able to make up that work if Pearson is going to be limited in his time starting with the team. Um, but obviously the important thing is to just make sure he's progressing at the same rate as some of the other Blue Jays youngsters and make sure that you know, he's on track to be the best pitcher he can be when this team is going for World Series rings. And, you know, 2021, it'd be nice, but it's not when the window's supposed to be open for this team. It's next year, it's 2023. So it's it's annoying because it means I have to see more Tanner Roark than I'd like, but it it's also understandable. And, like, I mean, you... You know how it is with these guys coming back from injury. I mean, you got four already on the 60-day IL, right? Like, like yeah, Colin, that- Poche, Colin Poche is still out. Yanni Chirino is still out. Oliver Drake still out. Jalen Beek still out. Like, I mean, it's not like Tampa Bay is, uh, is, is foreign to this whole concept of losing a bunch of pitchers to Tommy John surgery. Right, absolutely. And that's one of those things. I've almost... And I think Rays fans have kind of been resigned to the fact that those names that you just mentioned, AJ, like they're probably not going to be part of the plans or a big part of the plans at all for the Rays this year. It's like we hear they have Tommy John surgery. Okay, we can expect them pretty much to be out for 2021. And that's why the Rays put such an emphasis on um, adding some of these veteran guys like Rich Hill and, and Chris Archer and, and Michael Waka and Colin McHugh, and then even making some trades. I mean, trading with the Red Sox to bring in Chris Maz and Jeffrey Springs, who are kind of fringe 40-man guys that maybe the Rays can work their magic with and, and have some success there with that, or at least just we just need guys that can fill in innings for us, as especially at the start of the season, as we're trying to uh, stretch out some of our younger hotshot prospects, whether it's Brent Honeywell, Shane McClanahan, Brennan McKay, the list goes on and on. McKay is another guy that has been dealing with injury issues, and we're not really sure what what he's going to be able to do pitching-wise this year. The Rays throughout spring training have been more inclined to let him hit and and try to gain that two-way status. But, yeah, it's just all – I mean, this year, AJ, it seems like – I mean, not just for the Rays and the Blue Jays, but every team. Like, you're just going to need to stockpile arms because it's it's going to be going from 60 to 162 like that. Like, I will not be surprised if they're by the end of the year, it's kind of a, a game of attrition. Like, who, who do we have left on the depth chart that we can go out and throw out there? But um, you mentioned a lot of names there with, uh, you know, guys who can pitch in and, and fill in from there. Um, and you mentioned Robbie Ray, actually, in particular. And, and I know he's kind of had maybe a, a, a circuitous career and, and has had some ups and downs. I mean, he has pretty good stuff. I mean, are you pretty confident about what he can bring to the table this year? Yeah. I, um, when I did the crossover with Stacy, um, both of us knew the key was going to be what they can get out of the veteran arms that they signed for the rotation. 
And, you know, Stacey's Yankees were banking on Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyon being the answer there and coming back. Um, and the Blue Jays went a different route, uh, you know, re-signing Robbie Ray and trading for Steven Matz, which I think the Matz trade may end up being a masterstroke the way both him and Ray have looked in the spring. Like, um, like when I, when I pull up what Ray's done so far in the spring, like he's logged the most innings out of any Blue Jay so far, but you know, the big thing was going to be making sure his walks were down, making sure he was spotting the ball. And so far that hasn't been a problem in 13 and two thirds innings in the spring. He struck out 18 batters and only walked five of them. That is a great ratio to see for a team that needs contributions behind Tianjin Rio. And then Matt's has been almost spotless in 10 innings. Um, he's only given up the one run, hasn't walked a batter, struck out 12, has a whip of 0.7. Like, these are the guys that the Blue Jays need to step up and, and make things easier for, for the younger pitchers who, who might have to come in. Like, for, for all the, the talk we've had of, like, Tanner Roark and Ross Stripling, a guy we haven't really met, seen or heard a lot from is Trent Thornton, who was injured in 2020 and didn't really get a chance to establish himself. Um, he's made the one appearance so far, two scoreless innings, struck out four. So if Thornton can come back, that's, that's another piece to insert into that puzzle that the Blue Jays have the option of working with as opposed to other years when it's like, well, we signed Tommy Malone to a minor league deal. We might as well put him in the rotation. And just a quick break to remind you that this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Um, March Madness is still going. No offense to anyone, but I'm pretty happy Oral Roberts got knocked out, even though it means Arkansas is still alive, which who the heck was I supposed to root for in that game? But anyway, you make sure you have your picks down and locked and loaded with betonline.ag on anything you can imagine college basketball, NHL, NBA, the Oscars, whatever you want. Betonline.ag has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets. It's free to sign up. You just go over to their website, use the mobile device, whatever you use to browse the internet, sign up today, and when you use the promo code locked on, you get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So go to betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Before we get into the second segment, just a reminder, this episode is brought to you by Locked On Today. Uh, get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast with host Peter Bukowski wherever you get your major podcasts. And now we get right back into it because there's a picture in race camp that I can't let go. Which, speaking of which, I've seen who's in race camp. I, I know you're working things with Chris Archer and Michael Waka and like Cody Reed. Y'all, y'all just getting random pitchers and making them, making them work for y'all. But if you can do anything with David Hess, he of the 
getting absolutely bombed by by everyone facing the Orioles. If you can manage to do anything with him, I will officially decree the Rays to be a miracle organization because that man cannot pitch. Yeah, uh, and honestly, I think in spring training, I haven't looked up the numbers, but the reports I've heard, he hasn't done very well. So something tells me he's just a depth piece in the minor leagues. And like, it's going to, there's going to have to be a long list of guys that go down or blow up before he gets a call. Like that might have to be a prop bet. If David Hess gets an opportunity in a raise uniform, because as of today, as of right now, I don't see it. And I don't like, I don't know how the Rays, even with their magic and even with their, the, the, the analytics and what Kyle Snyder does and making over pitchers. I don't know if David Hess can be solved at the major league level. He might just I was be about a- to say, if you're, if your ERA is set 300 years in the future, that's not a good sign. He has an, he has an ERA of 2363 at the moment. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's one of those guys like they've mentioned him. Oh yeah. He gave up a, a bomb here, bomb there. He struggled. And that's really been the extent of the talks about David Hess because there's really been nothing else to report about him. There's so many other guys that have kind of either stood out in one way or the other. Like he he's I mean, he's he's sort of just a non-factor. He's just a guy. And and I, I think I mean, I guess cuts are probably gonna be coming up pretty soon. I don't know if he's been cut or sent down or, or reassigned or, or what the status is, but he definitely, uh, I can guarantee he will not be part of the, the 26 man roster. And he probably won't be on the 40 man roster unless, you know, again, there, there's just a, a windfall of injuries there with that. So we'll see what happens as far as that's concerned. Um, you know, AJ, the, the blue Jays, it, it's so interesting because I mean, I feel like, living in Tampa right now in the Tampa Bay area, there's like sort of a close connection with Toronto right now. The, the blue Jays are, are starting their season in Dunedin. Toronto is basically our adopted home team, the Toronto Raptors basketball team playing in Amelie arena where the lightning are playing. And, and that's kind of a, a cool factor there. But um, I just want to kind of get your gauge on what it's like knowing that the blue Jays are going to open the season in Dunedin. And I'm not sure how long they're going to stay there, but is that something where like, is there some upsetness by the fan base of knowing that they won't be able to open the season in Toronto at the Rogers center at home and being able to, to catch games at least initially in 2021, or it's just like, okay, we realize this is still COVID situation going on and we just hope they make the best of a situation in Dunedin here. Okay. First of all, I'm mad at Tampa. <laughs> Y'all have all this winning going on. You have a lightning winning the cup and the Buccaneers or Patriots, whatever you're calling yourselves, winning the Super Bowl. All this winning, and you can't give any to the Raptors while they're there. Raptors I are, know. are tanking. They lost to Houston. That's unacceptable. Y'all hogging the winning for yourselves. Adopted. Come on. Can't, can't give the Raptors a freaking win against the Rockets. Um. Two, I may not be the best person to speak to this, given that even in normal times, I it's very hard for me to attend uh, Blue Jays games because I live in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is a 24-hour drive from Toronto. So it's it's like um, I I actually talked with uh, with another um, reporter about this and. You know, for for those of us who are outside the main sphere 
of Toronto. It's not really any different from seeing them in Dunedin or in Buffalo. I actually like Buffalo because I really wanted Vladdy Jr. to just crank one so hard it decked a car going up the on-ramp on the highway. Like that's that's Little League stuff right there. I would love to see that. Um, but it does um, it does hinder the community a little bit in building that buzz. And this is supposed to be the most excitement the team has had since that 2016 season when faith was restored that the Blue Jays could be a competitive franchise. And it's been a bit muted because, yeah, they're going to be playing in Dunedin for the first month. And, and you know, as vaccinations start coming through, maybe there's a chance that they could be up in May or they could be up in June. But until we see those numbers up, we know there's not really going to be a chance for the Blue Jays to come up and do that. And it's going to be a little disappointing to have to see them from afar. I mean, Hyunjin Ryu still hasn't made his debut in the Rogers Center yet. And George Springer is going to have to wait as well. So it's tough to not have that kind of excitement level, knowing that, you know, all these games are taking place on American soil, but in the end, I don't think it changes the fact that this is essentially Canada's team. And there's, there is still a level of excitement coast to coast on that front that, you know, the Blue Jays can actually step up and, you know, stick it to the Yankees and the White Sox and, you know, the athletics, whoever else you have challenging for the crown, um, the Blue Jays are going to be competitive and the Blue Jays are going to eventually make their way back up here for a proper um, celebration of the team, a proper ovation for Hyunjin Ryu, a proper um, welcome to Robbie Ray and some of these other guys who have brought in. It's, it's going to be a long time coming, but the explosion I'm hoping is going to be there when this team finally arrives up north of the border. Right, absolutely. And and one of the players you mentioned, Vlad Guerrero, and, and referenced Vlad Guerrero Jr. And we all know about, uh, he's kind of gone viral this offseason for dropping weight like crazy. I think 42 pounds. I mean, he looks great. He is in excellent shape. And I've always wondered, you know, he, I guess, started his career at third base, was moved to first. Some people thought he might, you know, even outgrow first base and be a DH. But you know, kind of what is the status of him? Is uh, Do the Blue Jays plan to even though, I mean, now that he's gotten himself in sh- such excellent condition that they're going to try to move him back to third or have him do a, a corner infield situation? Or are they strictly looking at, at him as, hey, bud, you're in great shape. Keep doing what you're doing. We're going to start you at first and work from there. And then off of that, I mean, what are kind of your expectations for him this season? I know that he's been I don't want to say criticized, but one of the, the bugaboos, I guess, is the great, I mean, he hits the ball just about as hard as any, as anybody, but a lot of them are ground balls. And it's, there's been kind of an emphasis and a focus on elevating some of those pitches and, and getting more fly balls there. So just kind of what your, your expectations are for Vladdy this season. Um, first of all, I don't think third base is going to be primarily in Vladdy's plans. Like he may play over there in a shift sometimes if um, Charlie Montoyo gets creative with his pinch hitting situations or anything like that. Um, but Vladdy's going to be primarily first base 
um, as as far as I can see, which is good because he's definitely hitting like a first baseman right now. That's That's been the major story of the spring besides the injuries. It's just Vladdy tearing the absolute cover off the ball. He's batting 500 in spring. He has five extra base hits already. He has double the amount of walks as he does strikeouts. He has an OPS of 1.396. That anytime you get that high, that's cause for celebration. And, you know, once Springer and Marcus Simeon were signed, it was almost thought, well, is Vladdy going to be the sixth hitter, the seven hitter? How far down the lineup is he going to drop? I think he's asserted himself enough with his performance that it's it's not a drop for him anymore. It's going to be, well, is he going to bat third or fourth in the lineup? Which the way he's just lining shots, I would and and looking pretty good running the bases, I would actually consider hitting him third, um, and then maybe dropping Bo Bichette down in the lineup, like. I'm, I'm going to be doing something uh, with this on Friday with the fans, just trying to get their perspective on where they want to see some of these guys in the batting order come Thursday when the season starts. But it is a luxury for the Blue Jays to have Vladdy just come in, look focused, look determined, and look like he wants to take out his frustrations on every pitch that's coming his way. Because... We did not see that Vladdy in 2019. We did not see that Vladdy last year. Now we're seeing it. And if he's going to do that at will, it is going to make this lineup even more dangerous than we thought it could be. And with the injuries to the pitching staff, we're going to need it to be very dangerous. So anything that Vladdy wants to do to maintain this level of of dialed-in anger at the ball is only going to be beneficial for this team, especially when we got to play your Rays and, you know, Ryan Yarbrough's out there throwing that soft junk that no one on the team seems to be able to hit. I swear. Like, yeah, it's crazy because you you mentioned the, the pitching staff and the question marks with the blue Jays. And and I I've said this throughout the off season about this team that, you know, they, they could almost, darn near throw anybody out there because this lineup one through nine, it, it might just be the strongest or one of the strongest, definitely in all of baseball. Like I don't see a weakness in the lineup really. And and you might just be scoring. I mean, it could be a lot of home runs, a lot of runs. You, you could see a lot. I mean, almost football level scores um, with, with some of these things like just, you know, okay. Yeah. Our, our pitcher gave up five, six earned runs, but we, we scored seven, eight or nine and, and we'll be okay. And uh, that concerns me a little bit in the Rays playing the blue Jays, because it, it always seems like whenever these two teams play each other, there's some, some weird occurrences, some weird happenings, some, some weird comebacks. And I mean, it, it's fun at the end of the day, but also for some moments that, that make you want to pull your hair out and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, break your television at times, it, it gets to that level. And, and I could very well see the same this season uh, when, when the Rays and Blue Jays match up for sure. And, um, you know, kind of tied in off of that, you know, I, there's so much talk about 
Craig Biggio or, or, or Kevin Biggio, man, uh, tells him, you tell I'm getting old here. Oh my Get gosh. Get your mind out of the nineties. I know that I'm, I'm such a, such a nineties kid here. Uh, Guerrero Bichette. And I, you know, those names are also representative of the nineties. Um, and Bichette, especially locally, because he is from St. Petersburg. He went to Lakewood high school. And, uh, it seems like every time he goes to the trop, he just, I mean, that's basically his home ballpark. He's, he's going like three for five. He's, he's, stealing bases he's he's getting home runs like that's just like that's a great he's probably sleeping at his at his uh the the bed he grew up in but out of those three guys you know the big three the the guys that have gotten so much play over the years um at the end of the day do you have a sense or or an opinion on which one of those you think will have the best career either in a blue jays uniform or just when it's all said and done when we look back 15 years from now okay, this guy was better than the other two or vice versa? It should be Bichette. It should be. Um, Whether or not the injuries um, that have been cropping up with him will eventually sap what he can do will be the question, but it should be Bichette. I'm going to say that it will be Vladdy just because he, if he can hit, he'll be able to stay as long as his dad did, and his dad was hitting the ball into his 40s. So... If Vladdy is, is angry and motivated, he's going to be able to do just that. So I'd have to say um, Vladdy Jr. Kevin's going to have an, a decent career. It's it's probably not going to be to the level of his dad. I'm I'm not expecting Kevin Biggio to go in the Hall of Fame. I'm I'm very happy to be wrong on that. But out of those three, you still have to assume that Vladdy's going to have the best path. I mean. Just breaking in here to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is running Bracket Madness all month, and it's still going. I've been doing my best to follow up on the matchups and get my votes in so far. I'm a happy girl. I got cookies and cream in the Flavorful Four. I've got mint brownie in the Flavorful Four. I'm, I'm pretty stoked to have those two in there. So if you want to make sure those two meet in the finals, I mean, there, there are some strong competitors, but I, I really, like, I'm a sucker for mint and chocolate. I'm sorry. If you want to get your vote in, go to builtbar.com slash pages slash brackets and get your vote in. The voting starts back up on Monday. I'll be going over that at chat. And... While you're there, if you use the promo code LOCKDOWN15, you will get 15% off an order of delicious Built Bars sent to your door. And it will be well worth it. So, that's LOCK15. Get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com and check back to see who will get that final flavorful four spot and go into the death match that is the semifinal pairings you are locked on blue jays your daily toronto blue jays podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day and just a reminder that all this week we are having our locked on mlb division previews they have been going on locked on mlb Every episode from now until the 31st features in-depth looks at every team and every division. 
It's all on the Lockdown MLB podcast feed right now. Follow Lockdown MLB on the radio.com app or wherever you get podcasts. Now, here's me not uh, not fully understanding what Tampa is going to do with its offense. He's looking better than Wander Franco, which, I mean, what's up with him? He's supposed to be your top prospect, right? Like, is he taking over for Willie Adamas yet? Or or what's what's the plan with him? Is he going to be second base? Is he going to push Brandon Lau around? I, how is this lineup going to work? I'm looking at the names on here, and I, I can't, like, much like I can't make a coherent lineup out of the Blue Jays just because they're so good. I can't make a coherent lineup out of the Rays because I don't know what the heck the Rays are doing. And maybe that's your plan. Maybe that's the plan the Rays always have is, is to smoke screen. So, you know, you sick manual Margot on people and people don't expect it. But what is the plan in Tampa Bay, Kevin? Because I can't see it. That's a great point you make, AJ. And that's the thing is the Rays always want to leave things up to confusion and platoons and rotating guys in and out. There's not, there's very few um, everyday players or guys that the Rays are comfortable with everyday players. And well, Willie Adamas is one of those guys. And, you know, as far as Wander Franco goes, like he's absolutely going to start the season in the minor leagues. And Ulysses and I have had this discussion ad nauseum because everybody wants to know about Wander Franco because he's the number one prospect in baseball and, and deservingly so from what we've heard and, and seen thus far. But um, I, I don't see him getting a call up until maybe late summer, maybe, maybe September. Like we, we still have to realize he just turned 20 years old. He missed an entire minor league season last year. There's the service time issues. The Rays want to make sure he gets enough at bats, some at bats, maybe at double A, triple A. And there's also a bit of a log jam too at, at, I mean, if Wander Franco is the shortstop of the future, that that's perfectly fine. And that's understandable. But right now, Willie Adamas is a pretty darn good player. And there's not really anybody that as of today is going to push Willie Adamas off of his starting spot with the Rays. The only, the only reason that, Willie Adamas wouldn't play for the Rays as if they trade him to somewhere else. And, and that brings up a spot um, for one of their prospects. And, you know, if, and, and I've said this before, if Willie Adamas went down today or tomorrow with an injury, it, it's not Wander Franco that would get the call. It, it would be, I mean, really they, they probably just shift Joey Wendell over and have him play short. But beyond that, I mean, if there was a, a prospect they would call up it would be Taylor Walls because he is viewed as the best defensive prospect in the race system. And he's a guy that's a little bit more mature, fully developed, play college ball. And the Rays, I mean, yeah, you you want guys that can hit the ball around and, and steal bags and and hit for a high average, but they're also their their protocol, their modus operandi is pitching and defense. And very sound defense up the middle is what they want with, you know, Kiermaier in center field and a great shortstop and a great second baseman and a great catcher defensively. And that's who would ultimately get the call. And, and after that, you know, I mean, it, it'd probably be Vidal Brujan that would get a call if, if something happened to Taylor Wall. So Wander Franco, it's still, I think, premature. And I wouldn't be really, I wouldn't be surprised in the least if, um, he didn't make his debut until 2022 or afterwards or until they decide what they want to do with the Domus going forward. And there's also the opportunities that, you know, they're trying to um, shift Franco around maybe to get him an opportunity at the big league level, maybe play some second base, maybe play some third base. But the other thing too is with that, um, the way to 
fine tune those positions and really get adept at those positions is reps, a lot of reps and reps at a, a backfield somewhere in the minor leagues in a minor league game where you don't have the microscope and you don't have the media attention. It's not at the big league level. It's not being uh, coming off the bench and, and playing a couple innings or getting a spot start here or there or playing every second or third day. That That is not good for your development. That is not good for development of a number one prospect. So, you know, Yes, it's fun to talk about Wander, but it's also something where we have to exude patience with him and realize that this isn't, it's better to wait to call him up and, and get, get the best out of him than, than call him up now and then take your lumps with him when he's not really fully developed or fully mature. So I think it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be a minute before we see Wander Franco in a Rays uniform. And, and it's kind of a catch 22. It's kind of one of those good problems to have because the Rays have so much depth uh, in their system with, with middle infield guys. And also there's the question of, you know, who do you move off those other positions? You mentioned Brandon Lau. He's not going anywhere. Now he can play other positions. They can play him in the corner outfield. They could play him at first. He's sparingly gotten some action at third, but there's a lot of, I mean, the, the Rays really, it seems like for the first time in a really long time, they've got a lot of major league players who deserve playing time and, and you don't have to r- really worry about them. And there's so much versatility with all their guys. So it's, it's, it's one of those, I guess, good problems that like they've, they've got depth at the major league level and they've got depth at the minor league level. And, and, you know, as far as like playing third base, I mean, who are you going to push off there? You have Yandy Diaz, you have Joey Wendell, you have Mike Brasso, you have Yoshi Sutsugo. So there's a lot of guys there, there as of right now. Now, maybe at the trade deadline, if things are out of contention or, or maybe in the off season, we might see some maneuvers and trades where the Rays try to unload some payroll. And then it's like, okay, now we're going to really make an emphasis to bring up some of our top prospects. But I think, you know, losing that minor league season last year was really, I don't want to say devastating, but really kind of pushed the timeline back on some of the big name guys, the big name position players, mainly uh, starting with Wander Frank. I definitely say, well, I definitely think we'll see a lot of, you know, the, the pitching prospects like the, the Shane McClanahan's and the Brent Honeywell's and the Brendan McKay's at some point, because teams are just going to need a bunch, uh, a bunch of arms this year for sure with that. So, um, you know, AJ, one, another question I've got is uh, I, I'm kind of jealous and envious of the Blue Jays right now because I look at their 40-man roster and I see five catchers and I see five catchers who really, I mean, they, they all seem to have their own talent and potential and strengths from Riley Adams to Danny Jansen, Alejandro Kirk, Reese McGuire, Gabriel Marino. Um, Who's getting the reps this year? How, how are they going to manage all this? I'm sure, you know, guys will be reassigned and so forth, but what does the, the catcher position look like as far as playing time this year goes for the Blue Jays? Um, if I had my way, and granted, I can sometimes be very, very greedy with what I want, but if I had my way, the majority of the catching starts in 2021 would be made by Alejandro Kirk. Because um, the main problem for the Blue Jays catching last year was it was an absolute pit on offense. Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire both had terrible seasons at the plate. You know, aside from that one game against you in the playoffs when Danny Jansen just decided, hey, I'm just going to hit home runs now and y'all can deal. Um, But those days were were way too far and few between for Danny Jansen. 
um, for the Blue Jays' liking. And, you know, as you said, losing minor league seasons generally hurt prospects, but it didn't hurt Alejandro Kirk. He came up and immediately continued to hit like he was in single A. Um, Levy had a 375 batting average last year in nine regular season games. That is an insane thing to be able to pull off at his age. I mean, the dude was born in 1998. He turned 22 in the offseason. Normally, you don't see catching prospects come up until they're like 25. And Kirk just comes in and and instantly displays that spark that a lot of Blue Jays fans wanted to see out of that position. And it looks like Blue Jays management is noticing as well. He's basically served as Robbie Ray's catcher the entire spring. He's been doing sessions with Hyunjin Ryu. They're giving him a lot of reps with the top tier starting pitchers of the Blue Jays. And that just speaks to how highly they think of him. Um, Danny Jansen's probably going to be on the team anyway, just as the established starter. Um, but we'll see how he does in, in the season. If he loses more and more playing time to Kirk, just because Kirk's bat is playing so much better than than Danny Jansen's is. And and Danny hasn't helped himself with this spring. He's batting 160. He's got the one home run, but four for 25 is not going to play, especially if you're relying on your offense to carry you through games because you don't really know what you have out of your pitching staff. You think you like what you have out of your pitching staff, but you don't know. So you'd like as many runs as possible to give him that cushion. Um. Riley Adams has been kind of overlooked with the rise of Alejandro Kirk, but again, he's another guy who's asserting himself very well with his play this spring. And, you know, the, the general consensus when the Blue Jays added both him and Gabriel Moreno to the 40 man roster is okay. One of these guys is getting traded at some point. And it looks like that's going to be Reese McGuire. Who's out of options has been passed by Kirk um, yeah, he's a great defensive catcher, but same problem as Danny cannot hit. I mean, he's had a, he's had a, a little bit of resurgence to bring his average up above 200, but that's still not good enough to, to justify his spot over Kirk. And the Blue Jays do have a little bit of flexibility. They can send Kirk to AAA if they want to start the season. I wouldn't do that because um, A, AAA season's delayed by a month. And B, I want to win games. And Alejandro Kirk right now gives you the best chance to win games. He's not hurting you behind the plate. Robbie Ray has been nothing but complimentary of, of him, saying he's been mature beyond his years with how he calls a game. So I'm more than happy to put Kirk there. And I would actually make Kirk a sleeper rookie of the year pick. Because if he gets off to a heart a hot start behind the plate. He's going to continue getting a lot of attention and that's going to bolster him in that race. So, you know, I, I, I think McGuire is, is the odd man out. I think he's either going to be traded to a team that can use a backup catcher or he'll be DFA'd and expected to start the season in Buffalo. But it's, it's all Kirk for me. Like he, <laughs> I, I know you're jealous of it because you're you're relying on Mike Zunino and Francisco Mejia to get you through the season. And teams have risen and died on the shores of waiting for Francisco Mejia to produce. So yeah, I wish I, you I, the best of luck. 
AJ, I can't, I'm so jealous right now. I am so jealous right now of what you have and the depth that you have there, specifically with Alejandro Kirk. Just the fact of his body type and the fact that he, like, this is a elite professional athlete, a catcher who is, I guess, listed at 5'8", 265, or he's, thereabouts. He's our large like, adult son. Everyone's there we large go. adult son. Yeah, and he's only, what, like 21 years old. He doesn't strike out. He walks a ton. He hits the ball. Like, I am just... I, I, I've as a raise follower for so many years now, I'm just resigned to the fact that yes, I understand the importance of having an adept defensive catcher behind the plate and a game caller, a guy that can throw out base runners and block pitches and uh, manage the game and so forth. But it'd also be nice to have a guy that, uh, or have multiple guys that, you know, don't hit 190 and strike out 35 or 40% of the time. So like, I I am jealous of guys like, like I I've been knocking on the door for the Rays to pull off some kind of trade with the Minnesota twins to get Williams asked to deal like a guy that can play every single position. He's got a great nickname in La Tortuga. I think it is. And he doesn't, he's, he, he doesn't strike out either. He, he fits. I mean, it's kind of similar in a way to, uh, to Alejandro Kirk, except for the fact that, you know, I think Estadio spent like nine years in the minors and still doesn't really get much of an opportunity. Doesn't get enough of an opportunity, I think with the twins, but yeah, I mean, man, I, I just wish I, what, I, I would love to, I, I, I would love to trade for Alejandro Kirk, but I know that's going to, it's not going to happen. And uh, in any universe anytime soon. And I'm, I'm just going to be jealous when, you know, Kirk goes, you know, hits 330 or 350 against the Rays this season, because it's probably bound to happen with that. So, um, oh, yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can get Kirk. You just have to give us Shane McClanahan and uh, I don't know, probably Vidal Bruhan. We need at least a couple oh. of those guys. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll have to think about that one a little bit. It's maybe just, Diego yeah. Castillo. I don't know. We'll, we'll give you a reliever. I'll give you a reliever for that. I'll give you a reliever in, in another arm. No wonder Franco though. Can't, can't do that. No. That's, that's definitely. No, we're good. We're, we're set at shortstop, but yeah, yeah. You, you give me, you give me Diego Castillo and Shane McClanahan and I'll think about it. I would actually maybe think about that too, because the Rays do have a bevy of arms. It's just the the catching position has been such a a struggle for so many years now. And that's where we're going to end the first half of this podcast that I did with Kevin Weiss. Just a reminder, if you want to follow him to get all the updates on the Rays to make sure they aren't planning anything and they aren't going to sneak up and make this a three-horse race with the Blue Jays and the Yankees, because that's what we're all expecting, right? Anyway... You can follow him at Kevin Weiss underscore. He only has the one underscore and it's at the end. But you can follow him there. You can follow him at Locked On Rays. That's the podcast that he does with Ulysses Sombrano, who has also been on the podcast before. Check them both out. And while you're on Twitter, you can follow this podcast at Locked On Chase. All the episode links are usually posted there. You can subscribe to both our podcasts on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can go on radio.com. However you get your podcasts, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can follow me on Twitter at A underscore J underscore Andrews. The underscores are there because Twitter is dumb and it makes me feel even worse than I do right now lately. So, you know, fun times. But we can talk there and that's a positive, so... We'll take what we can get. 
So the second half, I will be trying to get that out immediately while I still have some energy left in me. And then I'm planning on hopefully getting another night's rest and we'll have a Sunday episode just discussing some of the moves the Blue Jays have made to finalize their opening day roster. So until then, for everyone at the Locked On Podcast Network and everyone at jaysrunacouch.com, I'm E.J. Andrews. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. And y'all take care.